Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Ken Wyrock, Matthew Betts, and Matt Okada. And welcome in to the latest episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Unfortunately, the voice you're hearing is not that of Kent Wyrock. Uh, this is Matthew Betts. I'll be one of your quarterbacks for the evening. Joining me is the other Matt or Matthew. What do you go by, Matt or Matthew? Uh, there are a select few people who call me Matthew. Most of them are related to me by blood. Okay, Everyone fantastic. Everyone calls me Matt or Okada. Yeah, we, we know you as Okada, and, and that's what the people know you as. So Betts and Okada here tonight. Um, we're doing a little bit of a special kind of episode series here over the next few episodes where Okada and I are going to be breaking down more of these rookies in detail so that we can discuss um, you know, more about their college days and what their strengths and weaknesses are to make you as prepared as possible for um, your rookie drafts, which are happening right now, will be happening in the coming weeks. I know I've got a few coming up over the course of the summer, um, which is nice to kind of have them spread out. So whenever that time comes for you, we have got you covered and we've got you ready to go uh, with some great rookie content. Big facts, and we're going to try to get them out ASAP as far as over the next week or two. However, we are going to have them all available within the next few days, uh, to exact days to be announced, but on Patreon. So if you're a patron, any level, we will make all the rookie pods accessible to you immediately. So that is something to look into if you have a rookie draft going on or coming up this week. We'll get you everything immediately. Otherwise, they'll be coming out over the next couple of weeks. Yes, absolutely. And, and you can find us on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash redshirtsffpod. And you can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Look for all of the links for this content there as well. And we will be posting all over the place to get you your rookie content as soon as possible. All right, Okada, you ready? I'm so ready. Let's get into it. So we're going to skip kind of our usual news and, and injuries. And, and like I said, just focus on rookies. We're talking today round one rookie ADP. This was taken from my fantasy league and is a single quarterback format. So we're going based off of what you, the people, are drafting right now, today, uh, and in the past few weeks. The data that I pulled is after the NFL draft. So this should be as up to date as possible here as we look towards um, what these rookies should do for fantasy football purposes. All right, starting at the 101 here, this is running back Josh Jacobs out of Alabama, selected by the Oakland Raiders in the first round with the 24th overall pick. Okada, what do you like about Josh Jacobs, the prospect? Um, okay, so the main thing, and you've probably heard this about Josh Jacobs, is he is pretty much 100% a tape prospect. In the sense that he did not have a lot of production in Alabama. He had 251 total carries over his entire three-year career. And 120 of those came in his final season in 2018. Prior to that, he only had 85 carries and 46 carries. So he was a complimentary back uh, to Damian Harris, who we'll touch on at some point down the line. But he is going to be far, far down the the ADP compared to Josh Jacobs. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because of the very last season when Josh Jacobs kind of took over, uh, at least looked to be the more explosive back uh, in Alabama. So he had 640 rushing yards and 11 touchdowns. And then he also added a decent chunk of production in the receiving game, uh, 20 catches for 247 yards and three touchdowns last year. Uh, but he he is a, a definitely, like I said, a tape guy. He's very explosive. Uh, good balanced skill set, um, and he's got he's kind of I would say balanced in the sense that he can be a hit you in the mouth kind of guy, or he can he can use his speed and kind of agility to get around you. So he has a couple different uh, skills in that way. Um, but the the lack of production leaves a, a decent number of question marks. Of course, it also leaves very little tread on his tires, which could be a good thing. So it's kind of this push and pull catch 22 sort of situation with running backs. Um, So we'll see how that pans out. And then of course he went to the Oakland Raiders in the first round. So that's a good landing spot and good draft capital. Both of those things you really like to see, which 
is primarily the reason that you see him up at the 101. Yeah, absolutely. And and we just did a rookie mock draft, our last, you know, usual uh, episode that we do with, with Ken every week. We had Travis Mayon, we did a rookie mock, and I drew the 1.01, and I took Josh Jacobs there. So I agree with consensus. You know, for me, this is a guy who steps into an immediate role at immediate production, which is what you want out of your rookie running back. They just recently lost Isaiah Crowell, so he has the backfield to himself. I do think Jalen Rashard will carve out a bit of a role there. I don't think it'll affect his fantasy value much, but um, to me, there's not many backs in this league in, in today's uh, NFL that are a lock for 225 minimum carries, and I think Jacobs, barring health, of course, gets that. I mean, um, I don't see how he doesn't, and I think that 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 alone, you could argue, makes him valuable as a 1.01. You already brought up a lot of the things that I like about him as a prospect, and I love his his toughness. I think he plays with um, a second level and a second gear, and you kind of just see him, you know, when he wants to be agile and get around guys, he can, but at the same time, if he's coming at you and he wants to run you over, he can do that too, and he's got a, a history that I think lends towards that type of chip-on-your-shoulder playing style, coming from poverty and all that kind of stuff, so... This guy's motivated, he's got the opportunity, and he's definitely got the talent. So I, I like Jacobs a lot, and I'm definitely comfortable with him here at, at the 1.01. Definitely uh, agreed there. And in PPR leagues, which most Dynasty is t- trending that way, he does bring a good good pass-catching ability. So even though Jalen Richard is kind of an established pass-catcher in a sort of niche way, Jacobs is obviously going to be more well-rounded, and when they put them out there on first and second downs, he can also catch the ball, and he'll probably play on third downs plenty. So that's definitely good for him. Also, I happen to do a quick historical check, uh, and running backs drafted in the top 25 of the NFL draft, so in round one, and he went at 24. They have Over the last 10 years, they've averaged 172 fantasy points as a rookie in their rookie season, which would have been good for RB16 last year. So I think that's a very safe sort of projection for him. He can definitely be a mid-range RB2. Um, and depending on how good the offense is, if AB uh, especially and also Tyrell Williams helps stretch this offense in ways that it hasn't recently, you could see him potentially be even better than that. Absolutely. I think those are all great points. And when you look at that historical data, uh, I think that that makes him at least worth your consideration here at 1.01. Let's go ahead and slide over to the 1.02 in, in rookie drafts right now. And that's Nikhil Harry, the wide receiver out of Arizona State, drafted by Okada, your New England Patriots, with the last mm. pick of the first round, 32nd overall. Um, for me, Harry was my 1.01 heading into the NFL draft, and I can't argue with anyone who wants to take him there. So definitely okay with 1.02. Uh, very talented receiver tough he's got the size extremely athletic um and he can win in a variety of ways i think that he is a guy who fits into this patriots offense very well given that they don't have a lot of depth behind guys like julian edelman and james white out of the backfield um they've been lacking a true one for a while now and i think that harry has the opportunity to step right in and his skill set allows him to do that with this new england offense um so i love the fit um, and very excited to see what he can do there in New England. Yeah, he was right uh, with Keem Butler for me as far as top wide receiver and really 101 overall. Um, Jacobs is now in the consideration, I think, because he got a really good landing spot. I was concerned he would go somewhere else. It's not quite as good. But coming in, I really liked Nikhil Harry and Keem Butler. Obviously, Harry got the better spot in draft capital. So that's why you see him up here at 102 in rookie drafts. And it's pretty much everything he has got pretty much everything he's big as all get out six two and a half basically 228 with a 78 inch wingspan but he's also extremely athletic he ran a four five three in the 40 he benched 27 reps which is obscene him and dk metcalf both completely broke the charts as far as speed and strength and that aspect of the combine he had a 38 and a half half inch vertical so athletically he's certainly phenomenal dominant uh sort of receiver and like i mentioned on our last pod i've seen him in person and it it looks scary he looks like a guy who can absolutely (laughs) yes he will dominate cornerbacks of any size pretty much in the nfl uh, especially if he has an accurate passer which of course he does and then from a production standpoint, also great. 1,000 yards in each of his last two seasons, 70-plus catches in each of his last two seasons. 
Um, so he has he has pretty much everything you want to see. And when he fell into this landing spot, I think he locked himself in as the top receiver because however much longer Brady is there, it's probably I think it's going to be two or three more years. So it's certainly going to give you a good chunk of production with Brady. But I I'm confident that whether it's Jarrett Stidham, who the Patriots also drafted this year, or whether they sign somebody as a bridge quarterback, whatever situation they end up with once Brady retires, if Belichick is still there, they're going to do just fine from that standpoint. So I think he'll continue to get production. Uh, but certainly while he has Brady, you can't ask for a much better quarterback to hit you where you need to be hit. And like you mentioned, he can make all the catches, run all the routes. He's an extremely good contested catch receiver. Um, and in a strange way, play looks like he's smaller than he is when you when he's playing just by how he runs, how he moves. But then when he's going up to beat someone one-on-one in the red zone, you can tell, oh, wait, that guy is gigantic and <laughs> he'll probably come down with the ball. Yeah, so and- I love Nikhil Harry. He's he's pretty much my 101 um, unless I get crazy and go with a certain other player. That oh, we'll about. <laughs> don't you dare tease it. We're going to talk about it. Don't worry. I'm not um, going to do that. It's the, the, size, the size is a great point that you bring up because – you know, the Patriots, when they get down close to the goal line, they typically don't run as much as other teams. Yes, they still utilize the quote-unquote goal line back. I mean, LeGarrette Blunt for crying out loud, had, what, 18 touchdowns two years ago? So they do it, but Brady throws the ball a lot inside the 20, and right now, as the roster stands, they don't have that red zone threat type of guy. I think he can do that as early as year one and then just grow from there. So his contested catchability in the red zone, I think, will make him a favorite of Tom Brady. And once you got the trust of Tom Brady, it's game over. So uh, I do like him a lot here as 1.02. Anything else, Okada, on on Harry before we move on? Um, Yeah, two more quick things. I'm going to try to give a little bit of context on a lot of these guys. So sometimes you'll you'll get one of these nuggets from me. So for Harry, Patriots. Yeah, I've got to love nuggets. (laughs) Patriots have produced a top 25 wide receiver in 11 of the last 12 seasons. And a lot of that time, of course, it's been a slot guy who got 80-plus catches. In this case, I think there's a good chance they they produce two wide receiver twos with Harry and Edelman. Um, and the one other thing is his most, I guess, common comp that you'll see is Allen Robinson. And I think that's pretty good comp. And we've seen Allen Robinson be extremely productive for fantasy with an extremely bad quarterback. So I think Harry has that kind of floor uh an Allen robinson type of floor and certainly a very high ceiling uh if he gets the targets in this offense so you're saying blake bortles is not as good as tom brady you know it's close but it's also (laughs) not close (laughs) it's very 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 not close uh all right that's that's a great recap there for Nikhil harry the 1.02 right now in your rookie drafts let's go ahead and slide over to the 1.03 uh this is a guy who is playing for my team now okada we got your team now we got my team Miles hmm. Sanders, drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in the second round, pick 21, 53rd overall, running back out of Penn State. Okada, what do you like about Sanders? A lot. Miles Sanders was my number one running back before the draft. Um, and he's kind of... I'm, it's, uh, I'm undecided right now on whether it's him or the guy we'll talk about next, actually, uh, currently, based on their landing spot. So... He First of all, he's a good pass catcher, which I always like to see, but he's also an extremely, extremely good running back. If you look at the numbers, uh, compare the numbers between him and Saquon Barkley in each of their last two seasons, you almost can't tell which one is which, except for the touchdowns. Saquon Barkley scored, I think, 18 touchdowns, um, and Sanders only had nine, I believe. So, yeah, it's nine. But from a carries and yard standpoint, they're almost exactly the same. Uh, and the pass catching, of course, Saquon Barkley is elite. He doesn't quite match up to Saquon Barkley, but almost no one does. He does match up to just about everybody else. He's he's very well-rounded in that respect. Um, and he, he actually forced more missed tackles than Saquon did on the same number of carries, basically, in their last season, which you like to see. So he is he's elusive, but he's also strong, kind of similar to Josh Jacobs. I think he can do everything in that respect. Um and I, the one now, that's what I like. What I don't like, of course, and we've talked about this briefly in our rookie or our, our mock draft, is where he landed with the Eagles. Um, 
and I mentioned on that show that Doug Peterson hasn't produced a thousand yard rusher. Travis May, who we did that mock draft with, he talked quite a bit about believing that Sanders is good enough to break that trend, that Peterson should recognize that he has skill that no one else that they've had in the past few years has had, and that he will therefore step into more of a true bell cow, uh, or at least strong RB1 role in that offense. And if he does that, certainly has extremely high upside because that offense should be good, and I do like Sanders' skill set. Yeah, I think that you you talked a lot about it, the points that I wanted to bring up, um, and that was the fact that, you know, let's say you're new to Dynasty and you see this guy out of Penn State, and all you know about Penn State is Saquon Barkley. It's understandable that Sanders got overshadowed and didn't get to play quite as much as he otherwise would have, let's say, at a different school. But coming out of high school, I mean, he was Mr. Football in Pennsylvania, which that's where I'm from. I'm from PA, and that's a huge honor. Lots of talent coming out of that place. So um, he had the you know, the pedigree to come out of high school and go to a big time school, chose to stay home when he got the opportunity. And that's really what matters is he produced. I mean, you look at 2017 and 2016, both of those seasons under 200 yards rushing on the season because Saquon Barkley was there this year. He gets the chance over 1200 yards. And when I watched him play, there was a lot to his game that reminded me of Saquon Barkley, not quite to the same level. Yes, I, I will give you that. But he's got good balance. Um, he can cut really well. He's got good hands. Um, and sneaky fast. I mean, I didn't think he was going to run a four four nine, But that was surprising to see. So if you can translate that into you know his game a little bit more at the next level, I love him there. Gets to go to a situation behind, playing behind a very good run-blocking offensive line and an overall good offense in general. Um, I'm a little hesitant that like you said, he might not be able to break that mold in terms of the RBBC that the Eagles like to use. But if he can, sky's the limit for Sanders here. So uh, I like him in that offense. I think his skill set fits well with what Peterson wants out of his running back, which is pretty much a guy that can do it all. Will he get the opportunity to do that? That's his only real weakness in terms of fantasy football. So we'll see what happens there in Philly. But if he can get a stranglehold of that job, I do like him a lot this season. Agreed. All right, that brings us up to the 1.04, which in right, rookie drafts right now is David Montgomery from the Chicago Bears, another running back. He was taken in the third round, pick 9, 73rd overall. Okada, give me some uh, some good info here on Montgomery. All right, so with David Montgomery, a lot of the info comes from the numbers. So looking at his last two seasons in 2017 and 2018, he had 250 carries in both of those seasons, 250 plus, and he had 1,100 rushing yards plus in each of those seasons and 11 plus rushing touchdowns in each of those seasons. He also had 36 receptions in 2017, 22 receptions in 2018. So he's very, very well-rounded, very well-balanced, extremely good at forcing missed tackles. He forced 99 missed tackles in his last season, which was the most in the FBS by any running back. So he's very hard to bring down. He's been comped to Kareem Hunt, which I think comes a lot from that aspect where he's very difficult to bring down. I don't think he's quite as explosive as Kareem Hunt. Uh, he ran a 4.63 in the in the 40 and kind of overall had a disappointing combine. Um, improved on that a little at his pro day, but you can't really take you have to take that with a grain of salt. So I think kind of from an athletic standpoint, those numbers are pretty accurate um, in the sense that he's not going to be the most game-breaking running back. But he is going to be reliable. He can carry a heavier workload, and he can force missed tackles at a very, very high rate. Um, we mentioned it kind of on the mock pod that he's sort of a better, more well-rounded Jordan Howard. And plopping down into the Bears offense, that happens to be a wonderful uh, sort of transition because Jordan Howard is a top 20 fantasy running back in each of his three seasons with the Bears. So... And we're we're saying, and I think it's pretty factual that Montgomery is better than Howard. Certainly more well-rounded. Certainly uh, should get more in the receiving game uh, than Howard because Howard hardly got anything ever because he's terrible at it. Uh, but <laughs> that's good for Montgomery because uh, it means Tariq Cohen will not be in on every third down, which means that Mon Montgomery could potentially even get a higher touch count than uh, Howard got, which was always a decent uh, workload on his own. So. He should be very reliable. I think he should be give you a safe, consistent RB2 floor uh, for his first few seasons at least. He's the guy that I have kind of right there with Miles Sanders 
as far as first running back on my boards, it's going to be maybe a little bit team dependent. If you think you can uh, wait a season a little bit more, you're not quite as desperate and you want to try to go for an upside guy. Maybe it's Miles Sanders. If you're if you just don't even have an RB one and you really need to to slot someone in there who you know can give you strong production right out the gate and be reliable, I think it might be David Montgomery. Yeah, and the thing that I you know I like to consider when I look at these rookies is what did a team invest in them in terms of draft capital? And you might say third round, not that much. But when it comes to the running back position, especially in this year's draft, uh, that's big time. And the fact that the Bears traded up for him really makes me excited about how Nagy might envision using him because he kind of is a mad scientist when it comes to um, offensive scheme. And we saw him do a lot of exciting things last year with Trubisky and Cohen and, and Robinson and all those pieces. So I would like him to slide in there and be able to contribute year one. Um, and the fact that the Bears brought in, what was it, 18, I think, running backs or 16, something crazy like that. And they chose him. They said, he's on the board. We have to go up and get him to fill this void that we have without Jordan Howard. So uh, I do like him to slide in there and produce as soon as you're one um, and be a very good compliment to Terry Cohen. You hit on a lot of the strengths and weaknesses that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, one other one that I just kind of thought of while you were talking is one thing that I noticed when watching Montgomery is he definitely, when he approaches the line, does a little bit too much kind of hopping or, or toe tapping or whatever you want to call it, hesitation. Um with the Bears offense and how they use their players I mean they run jet sweeps and their motion all the time so it's kind of like the Rams but if he can address that weakness I think that he can be able to get upfield quickly and I think that that's what Nagy's going to want him to do so if he can get that sorted out I like the fit here um, he has opportunity which in fantasy is king and he's got the talent too so uh, I do like Montgomery a lot I think he's a, a very solid RB2 this season in fantasy football Sweet. All right, I'll bounce us on to number five here. So this is DK Metcalf. And DK Metcalf is, is something to behold. Let's just put it that way. So he's coming in 6'3 and a half, 228 pounds. His combine pretty Good much Lord. Oh. destroyed the world. All the media was talking about DK Metcalf at the combine. I'll just get run you through some quick numbers here, and then you can maybe give us a breakdown of of the other side of DK Metcalf. But combine wise, he ran a four three three, bench twenty seven reps, forty and a half inch vertical, eleven and two inch broad jump, and then he had his three cone, which was not good, slower than Tom Brady's three cone. It was a seven three eight. I knew you were so going to say that. that. Yeah, that kind of brought up the other side of DK Metcalf that people are a little bit more concerned about. So maybe you can kind of give us your your opinion on overall, but also the the negatives and positives. Yeah, for sure. When you look at the first several numbers you listed, you must think Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones. And then when you consider the last couple numbers, you probably think of a guy like Doyle Green Beckham, someone like that, where Ooh. it's just so much potential, but you don't know. So the ceiling is the ceiling is so high. He could be the best player in this draft. He could also be a middling player that is not very fantasy relevant throughout his career. I tend to lean towards the higher end of the spectrum and that I do think he's going to produce because we talked about it last week a little bit. He's going to a situation where Russell Wilson is fantastic at the deep ball. And in year one, I think they make it simple on Metcalf and say, okay, get acclimated to the game, run deep routes, uh, run deep posts, things that don't require him to be quite as shifty in and out of his breaks, which is really his struggle. And I think he can succeed and then build from there. The issue with him being so hulked up and a freaking superhero <laughs> is that <laughs> um, increased muscle mass, while it looks good on the beach, definitely does affect um, <laughs> athletes' ability to be flexible and to change direction quickly and be um, you know, more than just a straight-line guy. So I would say for Metcalf here, he really does need to refine his his route running ability a little bit to truly take a big step forward into what he could be as a wide receiver. But the athletic profile is massive. He is a massive human being. And with Russell Wilson throwing you the ball, I mean, good things are going to happen. So I do like this landing spot for Metcalf. I think that his strengths will probably outweigh his weaknesses, but I'm not I'm not projecting Metcalf to be a wide receiver two this year, or maybe even a wide receiver three. I think he has those weeks, but I think really his success is going to come in 2020 after he has a year under his belt and he can really grow into what an NFL wide receiver should be. 
Okay, so it sounds like you're kind of mostly on the Metcalf train. Is that true? Mostly, yes. I'm not all the okay. way like you are, but I'm mostly there. <laughs> yeah. Um, first of all, let's just touch briefly on the fact that there's been a lot of hype and a lot of videos already coming out of training camp about DK Metcalf. Um, it seems like it's the main goal of all Seattle media to prove the Seahawks pick of Metcalf uh, to be a success because they've been posting consistent videos of either uh, Pete Carroll talking about him as the next great receiver in the league and the best thing he's ever seen, uh, or Metcalf running routes uh, in camp and looking solid. Of course, it is Carroll and the Seahawks, so if you want to talk about coach speak, that's about the worst place to go for it. <laughs> he believes everyone that is on his team is the next great thing, um, or already great thing. Having said that, I did watch a lot of DK Metcalf tape because I was really curious to see if he was truly incapable of running routes beyond just nines uh, and maybe a, a post here and there where he has to turn slightly. And I think he can. Now, he's not going to you know, run that bunch of intricate slants maybe and things like that. But what I did notice is I feel like he has a lot of good stop and go potential. And his comeback routes are extremely uh, strong as well because he's so big and so fast that when he's charging at cornerbacks and even safeties, they have to play, I guess, conservative, you could say, or scared even. So they're going to be um, cheating off quite a bit unless they want to get run over. And then when he stutters down, stops his feet in the ground and turns back, he's got a lot of space to catch the ball. But I also distinctly remember this one route where he literally ran a triple move, where he was running as fast as he could straight at the cornerback, stopped as if to turn back, and then started again, so it was like a stop and go. And the cornerback had stayed deep on him for that first stop, so he immediately closed that gap again. But because he had done a stop and go, the cornerback then just knew he had to run. So he basically turned his hips and started running, and Metcalf immediately stopped again and, and came back. And it was a crazy triple move route that I saw. And I thought that he pulled it off really well. So I think that what he's going to be able to do is not, he's not going to be a timing route guy. So if he'd gone to even like a Tom Brady sort of situation, it might have been a little bit more concerning. But I think that he's going to be a guy who creates space with his athleticism, runs some comebacks here and there to get first downs, and then blows by guys for deep routes most of the rest of the time. And I think he can also develop a little bit more of the route tree as well. So I, I think I'm more on Metcalf than maybe a lot of people are now, especially in the fantasy community where there was kind of a lot of poo-pooing. I think that the, the NFL community more in general saw the combine and started freaking out and thought he was incredible. And the fantasy community said, oh, he doesn't have production and he can't run routes. He's just a big superhero. <laughs> um, and so there was a lot of down uh, kind of reaction from the fantasy community. I think I'm pretty high on him in that respect. So he's going to be among my top receivers in this class. And he certainly is risky. And you touched on the fact that he might not be an immediate producer. But there's not much else in that offense right now. They've got Tyler Lockett. And if Doug Baldwin retires, that's pretty much it. Um, so I think there's a chance that he gets a 80 targets, maybe maybe more. And that doesn't sound like a lot. But with his skill set, his yards per reception, and his ability to catch touchdowns, that can be plenty to, to put you in the wide receiver two conversation. We saw that even with Tyler Lockett himself last year. Yeah, I think that his skill set, at least in, in Russell Wilson's, you know, his eyes, he's going to look for someone downfield who is a very, very large target, which he is, when Russell Wilson extends plays and gets out of the pocket, which he does pretty well. So um, there's going to be weeks where I think Metcalf, Metcalf is very, very fantasy relevant, and there's going to be weeks where I think he lets you down. But all in all, it'll be like that for most of the year. Like I said, in, in 2020 and beyond, I do like him. I just don't know that I'm quite as bullish on him this year, year one, um, as you are, Okada. But we got someone else to talk about. That's an, that's enough, Metcalf. We got oh. someone else next who perhaps oh. you've heard of him. Uh, 1.06. Okada is sweating. His heart rate, I can see it. Is It's coming through his chest. He loves this guy, and, and rightly so, for fantasy football purposes. Okada, I'm going to let you take this one because I know how much you oh. love Kyler Murray, the first overall draft pick in the NFL draft, the new quarterback of the air raid, Cliff Kingsbury <laughs> offense. 
Yeah, so this was a dangerous move, Betts, giving me uh, the floor I'm, here on Kyle I'll never Murray. talk again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, already, already for pick seven. quite a rant on the mock draft pod, um, and I still have some left. So, yeah, Kyler Murray, 101 to the Arizona Cardinals um, and Cliff Kingsbury, which there was a lot of smoke screening about them never doing that. But if anybody has not seen, there's a video of Cliff Kingsbury a couple years ago, I think back in... Maybe mid, no, maybe it was mid 2018 uh, when he was still with Texas Tech. Yeah, it was mid 2018, I think. Yep. A uh, coach at Texas Tech, and he he was asked about Kyler Murray, and he literally said that if he ever had the chance in the NFL draft to take Kyler Murray at the 101, he would do it. And by complete happenstance or extreme coincidence, he plopped down into the coaching position of the team that had the 101 when Kyler came out of college, and that's exactly what he did. And that to me is a huge deal when we're looking at what we can expect out of Kyler Murray because Cliff Kingsbury is 100%. In fact, it may have even been a portion of why they hired him. They may have already thought that they wanted to take Kyler Murray and brought in Cliff Kingsbury because they knew he would be the perfect coach for the Murray offense. But even if that's not the case, as soon as Cliff got there, I'm sure he started... uh, what is what is the word for you know when you're campaigning for someone campaigning grandstanding yes. maybe uh, for Kyler Murray because he knows that he will run his offense in an extremely effective way. So Cliff Kingsbury, Texas Tech offense, we're talking top top five in the FBS in passing yards pretty much every year he was there. They are a quick hitting, spread them out wide, five wide even sort of passing offense. And the quick hitting, I think, is going to be really crucial because the number one knock right now against Kyler Murray from a fantasy perspective is a terrible offensive line, which is true. The Cardinals have a very bad offensive line. It's going to be He's going to be on the run a, a good amount, but we'll touch on that in a second. But the quick hitting nature of Kingsbury's offense and the receivers that they brought in from the draft uh, to kind of flesh out that core, I think is going to help sort of mitigate the issues that that offensive line would normally create. So that's that's the one major knock against him in this situation. And then the other big knocks, I guess, coming out of college that we have to look at were his height and the fact that he had not decided if he wanted to play in the NFL. He was talking about playing baseball, and he got drafted to play baseball in the first round. First player in sports history to get drafted in the first round of both the Major League Baseball and NFL, which should tell you something about his athleticism. But he's playing football now. So we can forget about that completely. And I truly think that that has sort of clouded some of the scouting on Kyler Murray or the expectations for him from an NFL standpoint, because I think that everybody was sort of taking him with a grain of salt uh, because they thought he might not even play in the NFL and being unwilling to really consider his full potential. Now he's going full football. So we can focus on that. And then from a size standpoint, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) From a, from a size standpoint, I don't care. I'm not concerned. (laughs) One of the best quarterbacks in the entire league and the most highly paid quarterback in the entire league is just an an inch or two taller, depending on who's measuring, than Kyler Murray, and that's Russell Wilson. And the guy who came out last year at the 101, who everybody was complaining about his short height, Baker Mayfield, set a rookie passing touchdown record in less than a full season of starting and is considered one of the next big quarterbacks of the league right now, and I think he truly is. He's one of the best talents, probably, at his certainly uh, in an under twenty-five sort of uh, perspective. I'm not going to put him above, you know, Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers yet, but he certainly has a lot of potential. So ne- neither of those things concern me. From a positive standpoint, he is extremely good at running the football. We're talking a thousand rushing yards last year, one thousand and one to be exact. That is literally disgusting. He was the first FBS player in history to average 300 passing yards and 60 rushing yards per game over a full season. So, And he won the Heisman Trophy doing it. So this guy has almost limitless potential from a fantasy standpoint just from that perspective alone. But then he can also make every throw. And he can make it on the run. He can make it from the pocket. He can throw deep, which you think he's a little guy. Maybe he's not that strong. Incorrect. His baseball arm shows when he's throwing the football. He has, I don't want to say Patrick Mahomes' ability from a throwing and including throwing on the run standpoint, because at this point, I'm not sure if anybody has quite Patrick Mahomes' ability. It's not human what he he does. (laughs) No, he's obscene. 
But Kyler Murray is closer to that than maybe to the average quarterback in the sense that he can make incredible throws um, from anywhere on the field, pinpoint accuracy. And I like the receivers that they brought in. Uh, They're going to be young and obviously a little bit inexperienced. Uh, The three rookies in Hakeem Butler, Andy Isabella, and uh, Keyshawn Johnson. But I think all of those guys can bring something valuable. And Larry Fitzgerald still there for this year. I think he's going to have the weapons. Don't forget David Johnson out of the backfield. I think he's going to have the skill. I think he's going to have the dedication from his team and his coach and the one-on-one pick. Everything for me is funneling into Kyler Murray being an absolute beast for fantasy and in the NFL, but especially for fantasy with those rushing yards. So I am as high as you can get on Kyler Murray at this point. I've been tweeting about it over the last few days. I love, love, love him. And if you want... If you want good advice on your rookie drafts, you might not want to ask me what to do with Kyler Murray <laughs> because I'll probably tell you to do something stupid. So, Betts, maybe give us uh, another perspective if you have one or just temper me a little bit, and then I'll go silent for the next 20 minutes. You are gaga for this guy. The look I, I wish everyone gaga. could see could see the, the look in Okada's eyes. He gets so happy. <laughs> His face is all red. Um, it is. It's, the potential is, I agree with you, is through the roof for what he could do in terms of fantasy. You hit on his athleticism. You hit on his arm strength and his arm talent. There's a, a specific throw that I'm picturing in my head of playing Alabama in the college football playoff where he is on the run and making a ridiculous like 45-yard throw uh, to a player running a post and just drops it in there on a dime. So uh, the arm talent is there. You can't question that for sure. I think the biggest knock people are going to have against him, which you said is his height, but in this offense, it's fit for him. It is fit for his ability to get the ball out quick to playmakers, which they surrounded him with in the NFL draft, like you said. So I do think that there's a lot of potential. I'm starting to warm up to the idea of Murray being in this range where he should be in terms of a one quarterback setup. Obviously, if it's super flex, he's a locked 1.01. Don't even think about it. Don't trade out of it. Take him. Um, I'm very excited about what he can do. I just don't know that it's going to be as big as you think it's going to be right away. Uh, we'll see. I, I Honestly, when we get to our redraft rankings and we kind of revamp those with rookies, I'm not going to be surprised if I have him as a back-end quarterback one simply because you hit on the rushing. I think he can get there with that. So um, there's a lot to like about Murray. And honestly, in a class that's like the 2019 class where there's a lot of question marks after the first few guys, you could do way worse than taking Kyler Murray in the back end of the first round or the middle of the first round if you're a crazy person like Okada, um, even in a single quarterback league. So I'm not going to knock anyone that wants to do that because the ceiling uh, is massive for this guy. So I think that's enough for for Kyler Murray. What do you think? It is. I just have to say one thing that doesn't have so much to do with him as it has to do with me. I just checked my dynasty rankings on redshirtsfantasyfootball.com. Because I I threw the rookies into uh, my my overall dynasty rankings, and I wanted to I wanted to remind myself where I ranked him. Oh boy, for dynasty, and I have him at number four. Oh gosh, the number four dynasty quarterback. I I am out of control. Vets, somebody needs to put me down uh, <laughs> for a good couple months so that this can blow over. Yeah. Um. Uh. If anyone would like accurate advice please check out the <laughs> rankings but also check out kent and my rankings as well ignore okada's there because that's going to skew consensus a little bit uh yes. no i'm just kidding, giving you a hard time there it, honestly man i can't blame you like i could see a scenario next year where he does end up in the top five for dynasty i think for right now you're absolutely crazy for doing that because there's <laughs> so many other quarterbacks that i would take totally. above him given their track record and their history um but we've We've talked a lot about Kyler Murray. Let's, let's move on and get to some more prospects here because we're only halfway through. Um, the next guy we got to get to here is number seven off the board. That's TJ Hawkinson. The tight end for the Detroit Lions was taken in round one, eighth overall pick by those Lions out of Iowa. Um, he's a guy who we talked about last week. I like him a lot. He profiles as a very complete tight end, meaning he can do everything the tight end should do. He can block very well. Uh, for the running and passing game, strong hands can run good routes. So he's a guy who I think has the complete package. I'm just not sure that year one is the year that it happens for Hawkinson, not only because 
you know, it, it's rare for a rookie tight end to produce, but also because of the fact that this offense definitely wants to get on Johnson going. Uh, Matthew Stafford's passing numbers were way down last year compared to what they were in previous years with Jim Bob Cooter. So uh, there's a good chance that Hawkinson doesn't reach full potential in year one, but that's okay. I'm very confident with him here as the seventh player off the board. I think that long term, he's an excellent prospect for Dynasty. Yeah, definitely agree. He kind of draws comps to Travis Kelsey and George Kittle from the standpoint that he can be an elite pass catcher um, with athletic he kind of gets lost from an athletic perspective because he played with Noah Fant and at the combine Noah Fant just annihilated everyone and we'll talk about Noah Fant in a little bit uh, but Hawkinson's a little bit more well-rounded in that he is athletic but he he's also has this like you mentioned um, a skill set that includes blocking uh, he has very good hands good body control he can run routes um, pretty sharp crisp routes actually um, so I think that I think that there's a good chance Hawkson is a top a, a tight end one, basically. And, of course, that's not hard to do because there's so few good tight ends. Uh, very quickly, I I don't feel confident about that team overall and that offense. So that's a little bit concerning. The one thing that you do like is that they kind of have been doing this Patriots of the North thing <laughs> where they're... they're Game of Thrones Matt Patricia, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my! Oh my! Game of Thrones. Don't get don't get us started on that. Yeah, we'll be here all night. Uh, <laughs> um, but if they are trying to do that, which it seems like Matt Patricia is in so many different respects, then Hawkinson is the guy that they're sort of drafting to be Gronk. You would think, and I'm nowhere near saying that he is Gronk or will be Gronk, but I think that they will intend to have him in that kind of role in this offense, and obviously that's been a very productive role for an above average tight end. So I think he has. I think he has lots of potential. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with a lot of what you said there. Um, it's interesting to see how that will unfold. Like I said, you're picking him for probably production next year. You're not picking him to be your, your plug-and-play tight end, most likely this season. So I um, just want everyone to be aware of that. Moving forward to number eight here, A.J. Brown, Tennessee Titans wide receiver. He was taken in the second round, um, 51st overall pick. He's a guy who played alongside DK Metcalf, who we just talked about a little bit ago, um, but a very different play style. Okada, give me give me some things that you like about Brown's game that are different than a than his teammate uh, DK Metcalf. Yeah, they almost complement each other with an opposite sort of skill set in in every way, which made them a successful little duo at Ole Miss. In the sense that, and AJ Brown's not unathletic. Uh, he ran a four four nine, which is plenty good. Um, but he's not the dominant athlete that DK Metcalf is. But what he is is much more of a, a technician, um, a good, strong route runner, excellent slot receiver um, with really good hands and the ability to separate underneath um, on those kind of short and intermediate routes. Uh, unfortunately, his landing spot is rough. And we, we touched on this on the, uh, on the mock pod. But... We do not know what's going on in Tennessee from a quarterback standpoint. Whether Marcus Mariota is going to get healthy and become what he was supposed to be. Whether he's going to be off the starting gig within a few games because of one of those two issues. And Ryan Tannehill is going to be the quarterback. Whether they're both going to suck it up for a whole year and the Titans are going to just draft someone in 2020. Which there will be plenty of guys to do. And that could actually be one of the best situations for A.J. Brown. Um, but... He comes in and, and kind of provides a similar compliment to uh, Corey Davis as he did to DK Metcalf uh, at Old Miss. Now, obviously, Corey Davis is much more refined than DK Metcalf, so uh, they're not quite as opposite in that sense. But AJ Brown is going to be a, uh, and a, a, I don't want to say excellent, but a good short and intermediate range target for whoever the quarterback is there. Uh, and he should be able to take the passes that he are anywhere near him and run with them and get some yards after the catch and be a strong slot receiver. So the production looks good from A.J. Brown, certainly better than Metcalf, which gives you some confidence. The landing spot, not so much. Uh, but what's your take on him? Yeah, he's a guy that I liked a lot going into the NFL draft. And then like most people, I think, you know, the landing spot just 
is causing him to fall here. If you look at rookie drafts before the NFL draft, I mean, people are taking him at 1.01, 1.02. So the talent's there. That's not really a concern. The The concern, like you said, is, is Marcus Mariota for real? And if he's not, do they go get someone good to replace him that can step in and get him the ball? Because he is a guy, like you said, who excels with the ball in his hand. So if he can take, you know, short to intermediate routes and, and run with it, so to speak, and, and quite literally run with it. Um, I do like him a lot. I, I'm just concerned about passing volume as well there. Now they have Adam Humphreys, who they play, paid in free agency. So they've been saying all offseason that they're probably going to lean more on the run with Derrick Henry. And if they do that, then I'm hesitant that he does much, if anything, in year one. But long term, you know, we're playing Dynasty. So long term, this guy can be very productive in this league. I do like him a lot, and, and I would still be comfortable taking him anywhere after probably 1.05 to 1.06. From that point on, it's it's pick your pick your poison. Who do you like the best, and, and who do you want long-term? I think long-term, he's a solid prospect. Definitely. Um, all right, I'm going to let you start on this next one because I think you have a, a different opinion and a little bit more complete of an opinion on Paris Campbell coming at the 109 wide receiver uh, out of Ohio State and now on the Indianapolis Colts. Got drafted towards the end of the second round. So he got uh, round two capital, 59th overall. What are your uh, what are your takes on Paris Campbell? I think Paris Campbell slides into this offense extremely well, to be honest with you. I think it's going to be year one more of a good for NFL versus good for fantasy year um, there for the Colts because he is a guy that I think complements what they already have in T.Y. Hilton and Devin Funchess very well. Funchess is a is a plotter, but more of a red zone kind of threat. T.Y. Hilton is dynamic, get deep. He can run the intermediate routes. I mean, he literally can do it all. And Paris Campbell, with his speed, he can work downfield. He can also work a lot in the short game, running jet sweeps and screens and things of that nature, which he did a lot of at Ohio State. It's kind of funny the way that they used him at Ohio State because you see a guy with you know four three three speed, and you think he must have been a deep guy, a burner, but he didn't really get utilized that way. So I'll be interested to see what happens there in Indianapolis. Do they use that skill set and they use that attribute <clears throat> to their advantage and, you know, let Andrew Luck toss a few deep ones to him or do they keep him underneath like he did at Ohio State? I think the learning curve is going to be there for him in year one because he didn't run a very extensive route tree while at Ohio State. But I think, to be honest with you, that was more the result of what Ohio State runs with their offensive perspective versus his weakness so if he can learn a little bit more from ty hilton i like paris campbell a lot as a prospect and, and i'll be intrigued to see what he does there not necessarily this year but 2020 and beyond well they did put his locker right next to ty hilton's and i think paris campbell said something about being attached at the hip to hilton so hopefully he can learn from him. smart guy uh in that respect um paris campbell is a really interesting and and hard one for me because i i went and watched all his receptions from last season and there was 90 of them uh he certainly was a volume guy and it's funny because to me i saw less route running ability from him than dk metcalf but that's not necessarily his fault in that you kind of touched on it they they ran him so much on screens and those little shovel pass things that are popular in the NFL now. That's it's, literally all they did. It, it's literally all that they did. I think uh, when Travis was here last episode, he said they threw it to him deep like two times. Uh, deep being like more than 10 or 12 air yards. I forget what he said. But it was it was insane. And it, every time they got down in the red zone and Paris Campbell was targeted, it was one of those little targeted quote unquote. You guys can't see my my quotey fingers. There's lots of air quotes happening. The little shovel pass things, and then he dominates with them because he's extre- he's four three one fast, and he was an incredible kick returner for a couple seasons as well, which is actually can be a good predictor of wide receivers in the NFL if they get the right situation and opportunity. So it is a hundred percent for him going to depend on what they decide to do with him in Indianapolis, and I don't think that they're going to limit him as much as Ohio State did. But if they do, he could end up being sort of like a Percy Harvin-ish sort of player, which isn't necessarily horrible. Percy Harvin had some upside for a little bit, and then injuries and things kind of knocked him out of the league. But that sort of gadgety, 
Um, just get him in space quickly and with the ball in his hands, let him do what he does, which is run around people and pass people and burn them for touchdowns. So, But he's certainly not going to get the kind of targets, I don't think, that he got at Ohio State in his last season. Um, he's not going to have 90 receptions because they have too much else on that team. Uh, and Andrew Luck loves his tight end, so I think they're going to get plenty of those targets. T.Y. Hilton's going to get targets. As much as we hate it, you know who. Oh, it's only <laughs> you hate you know who. <laughs> he, uh, Mr. Funchess, is going to get his targets. Um, so I don't, I don't see Paris Campbell being a, you know, even 70 or 80 target guy, certainly in his first season, maybe he can develop into that, but he, he would need sort of a Jarvis Landry workload to turn his so far seen skill set into really great fantasy numbers. Um, so the alternative to getting that workload is to see that skill set fleshed out. If we see that he certainly has very high upside. So he's going to be a tough one to predict as far as where to go in drafts. I have him a little beyond this point, this 109. Uh, do you have him around here? I'd have to I'd have to look, to be honest with you. So off the top of my head, I want to say 11 or 12. You can check me on that while we kind of trans- transition to the next guy if you want to. But I think it's around there. You have it up? I don't. Okay. Just go to the next guy. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back to it. Uh, but let's sure. go ahead and, and transition to the next guy, which is another tight end here. Also out of Iowa, we touched on it a little bit ago with TJ Hawkinson. It's his old teammate, Noah Fant, who is now playing for the Denver Broncos after being taken 20th overall um, in round one. His skill set is very different than that of TJ Hawkinson. They both have good hands, but but Fant's a guy that you know profiles as more of a Evan Ingram, if you will, type of tight end because he played in the slot a lot while he was at Iowa. He runs a lot of routes very well. Um, he profiles as more of that kind of guy that is listed as a tight end, but doesn't really play like a tight end though. He can do a little bit of blocking. I think that, you know, with Evan Ingram's case, it was like, he literally was a wide receiver pretty much, uh, with Fant, he can do it a little bit. So I think that the Broncos will probably try to refine his skill set there a little bit and get him to be more complete tight end. But with the Broncos and now Joe Flacco starting, there's a chance he produces year one, and I think that he kind of can break that, you know, rookies don't produce right away mold in terms of um, what we've seen historically. So I do like Fant this year. I've kind of said it last week on the pod that I wouldn't be surprised if he is a back-end tight end one this season with, with Flacco there. So I do like Fant a lot. Um, I prefer Hawkinson out of the two, but totally fine taking taking Fant if you're looking for that year one production. Yeah, definitely. Um, from a from kind of a comp standpoint, he also gets George Kittle from an athletic comp standpoint, but also guys like O.J. Howard. Um, so, I mean, if you look at his combine numbers, 4-5 in the 40 for a guy who's 6'4", 250 is disgusting. Uh, 39.5-inch vertical and really, really good three-cone too, 6-8-1. So, from an athletic profile standpoint, he is everything. And then some. Um, but he's also shown to be a very good pass catcher. And in fact, he finished at Iowa with 19 touchdowns, which is the most by an Iowa tight end in history, including Hawkinson, who we previously talked about, and George Kittle, who went to Iowa. So he's he's got production, certainly from a touchdown standpoint. And then you also touched on the landing spot. I don't know how much longer Joe Flacco is going to be the quarterback there. Obviously, they drafted Drew Locke. But I looked at the Ravens' tight ends since 2016, so last three seasons, and they have the fourth most targets and receptions to that position of any team in the NFL. Flacco will target his tight ends. And as long as he's the quarterback, and maybe beyond that, depending on what Locke does, Fant is going to have, I think, a decent target floor. And with his ability to, to catch the ball, to run with it, to dominate, every position basically on the defense. I think he has a really high upside from the tight end position for fantasy. So I am definitely going to have him ranked above Hawkinson for this year, like you mentioned, but I'm really, really close between the two. I think closer than the average bear on my dynasty rank for these two guys. They're going to probably be back to back for me at the end or closer to the end of the first round. Yes. And I think that that is totally valid. I wouldn't knock anyone that prefers fan. I mean, he produced in college. He 
was the guy for Iowa for a while until Hawkinson really emerged. So um, if you like Fant better and you're looking for that earlier production, I have no issues with anyone taking him above Hawkinson. Like you said, we're kind of um, more, I think, Hawkinson than, than, than Fant for long term, but I won't knock anyone that wants to go that way. One guy that is definitely interesting in terms of value right away is the next player on this list, number 11. Um, right now in rookie drafts that's Mikol Hardman a guy who maybe you've never heard of before the NFL draft because he was taken all the way at the, the middle of the second round by the Chiefs in the wake of some of the Tyreek Hill news which you know we're not going to get into today but um, there's a good chance that Hill doesn't play for the Chiefs this season and they pretty much drafted his clone to come in and try to fill that role Mikol Hardman is the definition of a burner the guy is electric, extremely fast, played at Georgia, um, and is a guy who I think can step in right away and do some of what Tyreek Hill did for that offense. Now, we need to say this up front. He's not going to be Tyreek Hill. I mean, he was unstoppable with Patrick Mahomes last year. There's going to be flashes of that, I do believe. However, I don't think he's going to have the same production and skill set that Tyreek Hill has. But if he can kind of take a step forward here in terms of his skill set that is that is Harbin, um, you know, the, the sky's the limit, especially with Patrick Mahomes there. And the only other guy to really compete with for targets right now is Sammy Watkins. We know that he has a lot of injury history and concern about being on the field and healthy. There's going to be weeks where I do think Harbin is the wide receiver one behind Travis Kelsey. And that has so much value in fantasy. So he's a guy who before the NFL draft probably was being taken in maybe the second round of rookie drafts, probably the third. And he's just skyrocketed up boards because of landing spot. So that's why I always recommend to people, if you're drafting, wait till the wait till after the NFL draft because guys like Hardman uh, really do become so fancy relevant. Definitely. Um, all right, I, I just have to run through these. I had, I had pulled up the numbers and I tweeted them, so you could just go find my tweet as well. But I'm going to run through these really quick because I think it's just so interesting. Comparison between Hill and Hardman. So I'm going to give you the the category and then the stats for each. Hill then Hardman. Recept. This is college over two years each. Both of them in their last two years. Receptions 58 to 59. Receiving yards 725 to 950. Receiving touchdowns four for Hill, 11 for Hardman. Punt slash kick return average. So combined, which like I mentioned before, can be a good telltale sign of kind of a receiver's ability, especially after the catch. For fantasy standpoint, 17.7 for Hill, 19.8 for Hardman. They're both 5'10", 185 pounds for Hill, 187 for Hardman. It is insane how similar these guys are, just kind of from an overall profile standpoint. Obviously, there's some big differences. Uh, their speed is also basically the same. Uh, Hill ran a 4.29 in his pro day. He wasn't invited to his combine to the combine, obviously because of many many issues. Um, that we're seeing, terrible person. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that we're seeing flesh out now. Uh, Hardman ran a four three three at the combine, so if you kind of adjust the Hill pro day number, that's basically the same thing. So the speed is, is very similar, and I've there's been a lot of pushback for, that I've seen that oh Hardman's not at all the prospect that Hill was. Hill was not a lock prospect. Even with the off the field issues aside, I just went back and pulled up a quick draft profile of was from NFL.com. So I don't know who wrote it, but they typically do these draft profiles pretty decently. And a couple of the weaknesses mentioned are not very tough as a runner. Hands get shaky when headed into the middle of the field. We did not. People did not think that Tyree Kill is what we have seen from him in the last couple of years. And if you guys remember, the first season he was in the league, he was not that. They used him in a gadgety sort of way. He was almost more running back than receiver in his first season. Andy Reid, I don't know to what percentage, but to a large percentage, developed and helped help develop Tyree Kill into the receiver that we have seen him be in the last couple seasons, especially last year when he was literally the tight end one in all of fantasy, depending on what format you play. So I think Andy Reid has every ability to take Michael Hardman and do the same thing with him that he did with Tyreek Hill, which is to develop him, uh, round out his skill set like you mentioned, and make him into a more complete receiver. Will he be the tight end, or the tight end, the wide receiver one one day like Tyreek Hill was last year? 
Probably not. Odds are very, very low. But will could he easily be a mid to high end wide receiver two in this offense with this coach and this quarterback? I think so. And I think Tyreek Hill is going to be gone, which means he's going to get that role right out the gate. So we'll see how long it takes him to develop to the point where he could be that useful for fantasy. But I lean more towards the side that I trust the, the coach, the scheme, and the quarterback to help this guy flesh out in a, in a similar way to how Tyreek Hill did and be extremely valuable for fantasy. Yeah, this guy is, is the ultimate landing spot player. But in fantasy, opportunity is king, and he'll have that there in Kansas City with the quarterback one in Dynasty, Patrick Mahomes. So um, Hartman is, is very intriguing here at the back end of the first we're going to round it out with the last player here. Number 12 off the board is, is Debo Samuel, wide receiver out of South Carolina, now playing for the San Francisco 49ers. He was taken in the second round, uh, early in the second round, pick four, 36th overall. Um, Okada, what do you like about Debo Samuel's game? Um, Quite a bit. He was kind of not as noticed until the... Uh, uh, What's the what's the thing where all the college guys come and play together? Uh, senior Bowl. Yes, thank you. The Senior Bowl. Completely completely <laughs> blank there. Um, where he looked really, really good in the drills. Kind of was dominating cornerbacks off the line in some of those receiver drills that they did uh, at the Pro Day. He's 5'11", 214. He's pretty stocky, I guess you could say. Um, but also very speedy. He ran a 4'48", which is quite good. And... This is kind of an interesting comp. It's not one that you guys might think of right away. But for me, the guy that I think of is kind of a Julian Edelman. In that he's very tough, very quick, uh, will will run hard into players, but also beat them with strong routes, quick feet. I think he has that kind of potential. And it's interesting that he's his quarterback is Jimmy Garoppolo who came out of that, obviously, Patriots system. And his coach is Mike Shanahan, who... God, Mike Shanahan. I was like, Kyle wait, Shanahan. is that right? <laughs> <laughs> Mike Shanahan Kyle is Shanahan. retired, I think. Yes. Kyle Shanahan, yes. Who is, I think, one of the best offensive minds and schemers uh, as far as getting players, getting the best out of his players from a talent perspective and a production perspective in the NFL. So I think that he's going to scheme Debo Samuel perfectly to his ability. Uh, we could see him have... Julian Elman type of production potentially fairly quickly considering the fact that they don't have a massively talented uh, receiving core. Obviously, they have George Kittle. He's probably their best pass catcher uh, at the tight end position. And they have Dante Pettis, who they drafted last year um, and is somewhat similar in some ways, but a little bit more of a field stretcher, a little bit more of a, a deeper down the field kind of guy. I think they complement each other pretty well and can both be very productive. But I like, I like Debo a lot. Um, I think he could be a... 80 plus catch guy um, and be really, really strong in this offense for fantasy. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to like about Debo's game and you hit on a lot of the points that I was going to bring up too. And one thing that I wanted to kind of bring up um, with Samuel is his game allows him to play at a variety of positions. And I think that Shanahan's going to allow him to do that. I've heard people say that Pettis and him will compete a lot and they're not sure who's going to be. And that might be true, but from a, an offensive standpoint, you know, Kyle Shanahan is one of the best offensive minds. They picked this guy early in the second round to fill in a specific role. And I think that they are going to use Pettis and Samuel very effectively together along with George Kittle. I like Samuel a lot um, as a player. And I think that he fits very well in that system. So for me, Back end of the first, I think is a little bit late personally. I would probably be taking him closer to the 107, 108 range. Um, and if you can get him at this range, I'll probably be trying to trade up for him because there's not a lot of guys in this class that I would trade up for at a specific point. And if he's going at the back end of the uh, first, early second, I'm very comfortable trading up to go get Debo here. Uh, I do like him a lot as a prospect. Yeah, I don't mind that at all. I'm actually, I quickly checked our rookie rankings. I'm actually holding him down. Well, not really, because you have him at five and Kent has him at four, and he's five overall in our consensus. I have him down at nine, which I think I had him higher than that originally and then dropped him down a little bit. It's probably just got obsessed with Kyler Murray and decided that he had to push everybody. <laughs> yep. It's like Kyler Murray and then three blank spots and everyone else. You no. put Kyler Murray in there uh, twice, probably. But. 
Yeah, but I definitely agree that he should not be this low uh, at the very back end of the first. I think is too far down for him. Um, I would definitely take him over A.J. Brown. For me, I like him a little bit better than Paris Campbell, and I don't think that's that common. Um, I don't know. Maybe you agree with me on that. I do. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I might take him over one one at least of the tight ends, possibly both. So, yeah, I definitely agree Debo is going to be a great value. If you if he's still there this late, I would absolutely spend my pick on him. But like you said, I also wouldn't mind trading up a little bit to get him. Yes, sir. All right, Okada, let's let's put a bow on this one for tonight. Um, we talked a lot about the top options in this rookie class, but there's a lot more to talk about. So um, I hope you guys enjoyed this one. We're going to come back with a couple of more breakdowns here. We're going to do the top 36 ADP um, rookies. So so three rounds here. We're going to highlight each player and talk about them in detail like we did tonight. So look for that um, soon. Right, Okada? Very soon. Potentially sooner than even we are ready for <laughs> yes probably um by the end of the week all of these should be out and ready to go for your ears if you want access to them earlier hit the patreon get in there spend a buck and uh and help us out we would really appreciate it you get access to the slack channel to talk fantasy and and you know dynasty rookie draft and any rookie draft you want and startup and advice and why Okada is crazy for Murray and all this stuff. True. So you could hop in the Slack True. channel uh, and and talk there with us, which is which is a great time. So uh, for my, more, my, uh, go ahead. My AVI in that Slack channel will probably be Kyler Murray within the next twelve hours. Oh, <laughs> that's a lock. I'm not concerned about that at all. That's yep. a lock. Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, Okada. Let the people know where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, at Matt Okada. I almost said at Fantasy Sense. I was wondering why you paused there for a second. I no longer am there. I'm at Matt Okada. (laughs) Uh, You can find me there. And also you can find all three of our rankings on RetrosFantasyFootball.com like I mentioned earlier. And I would bookmark that rookie ranking page because it is going to change quite a lot, I think, uh, over the coming months as we jump back and forth between these guys and decide where they really settle in. Yeah. Uh, How about you? As soon, absolutely. As soon as we end the the pod here, I'm probably going to go update my rankings. Uh, you all can find and me put on Kyler Twitter. Murray number one. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not crazy. Uh, <laughs> you all can find me on Twitter at uh, the Fantasy PT. Find Kent at Kent Wyrock and follow the the show at Redshirts FF Pod. That's all we got for tonight. We're going to be back shortly with round two. Until then, we are the Redshirts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out our website, RedShirtsFantasyFootball.com.